Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 376. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service, FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest fintech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the 10 most important fintech stories into your inbox every morning. And we have special editions for Latin America as well as UK and Europe. Stay on top of fintech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Meredith Carter. She is the CEO of Context Business Lending. Now, they are an asset-based lender focusing on what we call the middle market. Those are not small businesses, not large corporations. I've never had anyone in this market on the show before, so I really wanted to sort of delve into the the market a little bit, talk about who are the borrowers, how they underwrite, because this is not a high-volume business where you're doing hundreds of loans a week. You're talking 25, sometimes even $50 million at a time. So this is a much different underwriting process. We talk about that. We talk about how context is adding technology into the mix here, what type of collateral they require. Obviously, we talk about the terms of the loans and that sort of thing. Talk about their loan performance during the pandemic and how everything fared out there. We talk a little bit about what it's like on the capital markets side when you've got a single family office, you don't really need a massive capital markets operation and the advantages of that and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome to the podcast, Meredith. Hi, thanks uh, for having me, Peter. My pleasure. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Why don't you talk about what you did before you got to context business lending? I don't know if anyone has a traditional path to asset-based lending. Mine might be a little bit less traditional than others. Um, I started my career as a practicing lawyer in Delaware, started off doing corporate litigation and then corporate transactional work. The litigation ended up giving me good practice, figuring out everything I possibly could as quickly as possible about different businesses. And the transactional work inevitably had you introducing your clients to different types of funding. When I left private practice, I uh, joined a client that was launching a litigation funding business focused on patent litigation, another sort of nuanced form of providing capital. And I did that for a number of years and and we ultimately sold that to a UK-based funder looking to come to the US. And one of the funders behind the litigation funding company is also uh, behind Context Business Lending. So upon that sale, they invited me to take a look at what was going on with Context Business Lending. When did Context, when did it start? Because you weren't there at the very beginning, right? Can you tell us a little bit about sort of how it got started? It was a bit opportunistic. There were uh, two gentlemen that identified ABL as a great opportunity who were also running a real estate investment for the family office. So they were spending a small portion of their time on ABL and a lot of their time on the real estate investment. And there was a core team of really two or three dedicated people at a given time for the first four or five years of the original Context Business Lending, which was at one point called Adams Business Credit. When I joined in 2017, 
it was about as traditional, you know, old school ABL as you can get. It's, uh, you know, people were printing calculator tape and stapling them to things and walking them down the hall. And <laughs> <laughs> so we really kind of hit restart, not because of anything bad, but as a dedicated effort in 2017. Right, right. Okay. So maybe we should just take a step back for a second and tell us a little bit about the asset-based lending market, particularly the segment that you guys serve, which is, I guess, what's called the middle market. Tell us a little bit about what is the state of that market today? I would say that it still remains pretty traditional. Most of the asset-based lending industry is run by former bankers that have a little bit more flexibility being at a non-bank but are pretty hamstrung either by traditions and the way things have always been done or secondary constraints by their leverage providers. So uh, we really saw a couple of distinctions that we could bring to the market. One being our source of capital. We're funded by a family office, a very large single family office, in addition to having a bank line, which is a little less restrictive, that's led by CIBC with uh, Texas Capital as a co-arranger. And through having that sort of capital structure, we can go as far as our imagination takes us. The other thing is applying a new way of looking at things and some automations, which I think we'll probably get into uh, mm-hmm. a little bit later to a very archaic business. So we're trying to rapidly swim against the tide, go against the grain and, and do things in a new way. Yeah, because I always imagine like a lot of these things are still getting done with relationships, right? Where people go out in the golf course and you know sign a deal based on personal relationships. Is that am I wrong there or is that kind you're, of how you're it not. <laughs> no, it's still, which is amazing, especially in this sort of post-COVID environment where many things have become more streamlined and digitized. People are going right back to, you know, opportunistic meetings as their source of finding new business, which is amazing to me. And one of the the things I really liked about the industry and thinking it's right for disruption, one of the things that we're doing is experimenting with different tools and data sets to find potential borrowers directly and um, get to those potential borrowers prior to others, get to them directly, and also expand the addressable market beyond people who were already looking for ABL to maybe others who didn't know what ABL was. Right, right. Okay. What are the typical industries you serve? It sounds like you're pretty broad, but do you have any kind of focus by industry? I would describe us as uh, white space lenders. So trying to, again, go against the grain. We lend to you know manufacturing companies, wholesalers, distributors, service companies. But within that, we like to look for things where others may not be able to lend to those companies because of their internal constraints, not for credit reasons, but for other reasons. And so we don't have any ESG caps in the types of loans we can do. We'll lend into the firearms industry. We'll lend into oil and gas, coal, anything that's really disfavored, I would say, are what we're focusing on. Hmm, interesting. I mean, what are the, the typical borrower that comes to you guys? They're not small businesses because the loan no. sizes are substantial. So what's the typical size of the company and how much do they borrow? We define a lower middle market as we address. So um, five to 200 million in revenue is what we're looking at. So pretty substantial size companies. Our loans are between uh, two and 50 million. So pretty substantial size loans. And the situations they're in, I would say there's either the temporarily unbankable group 
or they've gone through some sort of hiccup in their business and others may not look into the details of their particular business enough to try to find a way through, whereas we can be more bespoke in the solutions that we offer or highly seasonal businesses or again, those disfavored industries. Right, right. Okay. Is this all asset-backed lending? Like you require collateral to write the loan? Yes. So for our ABL product, we look for you know accounts receivable, inventory. We'll do 100% inventory, for example, which is a little bit different. Machinery and equipment, owner-occupied commercial real estate. And then a bucket we like to call an abundance of imperfect collateral. So <laughs> a bunch of stuff that would have to go wrong at the same time, but may not be your traditional four asset classes. Okay. Interesting. So then what is the typical loan duration? What are the typical interest rates? That sort of thing. Loan duration is two to four years, three being the average. Everyone thinks they're going to be with us a year less than they end up with for one reason or another. A lot of people stay for the flexibility or you know, it's a hard environment, depending on the type of business you are, to get different loans. Interest rates, I would say, all in, including fees. Uh, we don't hide our fees are going to be in your 7 to 11% range. Mm-hmm. The closer to bankable, the closer to 7%. But we can provide often a lot more flexibility and availability if someone's choosing between us and a bank. That's obviously a term loan product. Do you have other products that you provide as well? It's a revolving line of credit. We'll wrap in the term with okay. that revolver. We're looking at other expansion areas. You know, It's looking at the market and saying... What are other white spaces or really antiquated industries that are not too small, but not too big and don't have a big, you know, hundred pound, a thousand pound gorilla, excuse me, in the, the space where we might be able to find another niche and capitalize on it. One particular area that we're interested in is looking at e-commerce companies specifically using data to help inform our lending decisions. Okay, but like doing a a revenue-based financing deal or still doing the same type of thing, just using the e-commerce data? Either one. Either solely making decisions once we get comfortable with the algorithm based on metrics that they provide and how close in the past they have been to um, meeting their projections and their revenue targets and the types of spaces they're in. Maybe also taking an interest in their collateral depending on the type of company it is and the size of the loan. Right, right. Got it. Okay. I want to dig into underwriting for a little bit because obviously these are large loans. You need to be careful with your underwriting. Take us through that process. How do you operate? We have a top-notch underwriting team for sure that one of the prerequisites is they, you know, we want really entrepreneurial people that are trying to figure out a way to yes, and then we'll figure out whether we want to do it. Mm -hmm. We're in the process of incorporating tools into that that have a little bit more automation involved thanks to going to LendIt and meeting some vendors there. We are now in the process of introducing loan origination software where we're going to have a portal where prospects can upload information and it'll ping people instead of having our BDOs do that, have that information go all the way through the process, have a pre-screen involved that doesn't involve humans, pulling out certain information, putting it into data collection forms, and having that information available all the way through the life cycle of the deal, including portfolio management, spotting red flags, things like that. But what's I think unique about, in addition to the automations we're working on, our underwriting process is we do a lot of work up front. So we might not be the quickest term sheet out the door, but we like to stand behind what we send out. 
There's no bait and switch involved at the end. That's something that we've identified as something that drives people nuts and something that we would never do. Right. And I imagine you've got to sort of delve into the accounting system, right? Is that part of the automations that you're talking about? Because the accounting data is going to be so critical, right? There's financial spreading software out there that could be very helpful. There, Depending on the company, there's different comfort levels with whether companies would let you sort of log into their systems directly and pull information. Those are really great tools and ones that we're looking to add and deciding whether it should be a requirement or something that's optional. I think people are less skeptical now of going through third-party systems to access their account information with the invention of things like PayPal and go through PayPal or, or Amazon Pay when you're going through other sites. That's essentially what it's doing when you're accessing their accounting information through these third-party tools. Right, right. What is the typical process length? Like, what's the average amount of time from you know, the first contact to the borrower getting their money? I'd say it's about 30 to 60 days on average. Mm-hmm. It could be closer to 30. Part of what we're hoping to accomplish through uh, the automations is getting information quicker from the borrowers. So a lot of times it tends to be a hurry up and wait situation. Like we need to close in 30 days and then we're still missing information 45 days in. So maybe, you know, kind of helping to prioritize and saying it's this many days from this last piece of information to kind of drive home the point that we do need some lead time to do field exams and appraisals and things like that. Right, right. And so are these companies coming to you? I mean, you said like often they're not bankable. So like what are their options typically? I mean, I'm trying to sort of think about, I imagine they're going around and shopping deals. How do you sort of fit in with the competitive process? Over the past year, year and a half, we've been competing a lot with community banks, which is not great for us. In those cases, it's going to be a question of what's more important to that company at a given time. Uh, whether it be rate or uh, flexibility. You also get a lot of customers that have been kind of burned by banks. They'll triple covenant and kick them out and they don't want that instability. It's either community banks. Sometimes it's factoring. If it's AR only, the rates tend to be much higher there typically, but factoring rates have come down. There's a lot of bank and non-bank competitors in this space that have different things to offer. Right, right. Okay. So what about loan performance? Because you've been going for quite a few years now. You obviously had a sizable business leading into the pandemic. So maybe two questions. How did you fare during the pandemic? And how have you come out of it? We were very lucky during the pandemic. Some of it was uh, by design, but I would say the majority of it was luck and a little bit of proactivity with our borrowers. We only had one borrower that we lost a very de minimis amount with during the pandemic. And that was a a CBD cream company that had a lot of concentration with GNC. So we didn't see that coming and they really chose not to pivot to an online model early enough. But other than that, Stephen Butler, who was our chief credit officer at the time, now our chief operating officer, did a really great job of reaching out to our borrowers early and often and asking what their plans were in the worst case scenarios and how they could cut back and what bills um, they needed to pay and when without getting too involved in their business. But you know, at least posing those questions if people were thinking about things proactively. And the makeup of our portfolio too, that's where some of the luck came in. We had um, a place at manufacturer, which obviously did very well right. during uh, the pandemic, a lumber company, We had a number of e-commerce companies, which is a focus area of ours. 
one of the e-commerce companies was able to stay open even during the shutdown because they sold Shrek toilet paper and were deemed essential. (laughs) (laughs) Shrek toilet paper is essential, yes. There you go. (laughs) Okay, so then did you continue to lend? I mean, did you put a pause or how did you operate? No. And in fact, we did the opposite. We saw people starting to shut down. So we sent out a press release and said, we're still still lending. And some of the things early on, we were obviously taking a very close look at our portfolio, but not letting that get in the way of opportunities, but being careful about the ones we got into. We actually closed a deal on, let's see, March 15th or 17th, March 17th of 2020, which was pretty pretty quick after the shutdown. It's a firearms company that at that point had a $17 million back order that now has, I think, a $45 million back order for uh, blocks, which turned out to be a good one for everybody. But we, we kept lending through it. I think we caught a nice rising tide there where others didn't get comfortable lending until maybe later in the year. So you didn't do anything with PPP, right? We didn't. No, there were a lot of opportunities that came our way. You know, some that purported to have contracts with the city of New York, and they were bringing all this TPP stuff over. I know some people really got burned in that. There was one we were looking at closely, but ultimately, um, for credit reasons, decided not to move forward with. But a lot of pivoting to that for sure. That's understandable. So, you know, one of the advantages you have obviously is you're backed by single-family offices, as you said, that gives you flexibility. There wasn't a bank deciding that we're closing up shop, which obviously a lot of the smaller small business lenders was PPP or nothing. That was all that was available. A couple of questions. I mean, do you kind of have much in the way of a capital markets operation or do you, because you're just relying on that single source and you said you had a bank line or whatever, I mean, do you, are you holding all these loans on your balance sheet? Are you, are you offloading them? What's your capital markets operation like? Yeah, we are holding them on our balance sheet. And it's a combination of funds through the single family office and and the bank. So we'll try to drive down our cost of capital where we can with loans that are at least, you know, part of the loan fits inside the bank's box. We'll put as much of it on there as we can. But we have a very flexible arrangement where if an entire loan or part of a loan is ineligible, we're able to fund it out of equity. So if it's something that we're comfortable with, we don't need to say no to it. Our Goal is to grow. It's not to sell off loans or the portfolio. Are you looking to add more banks to that operation, or are you just you're happy with the relationship you have now? We have six banks in our facility. Okay, yeah, plenty of room to grow there. We've been very happy with our relationship with CIBC and all of our participant banks. Who knows? Maybe someday we'll we'll get so big we need to add more. But we have CIBC as well as some of the other. Biggest players um, in the market, like Wells Fargo, is a participant in our line as well. Do you always co-invest? You said you sometimes can do the whole thing yourself. I get that. But then assuming a bank wants to do a big chunk of it, do you always co-invest or will you let the whole loan go through to the bank? In the cases where the amount is somewhere between 25 and 50 million, we'll typically take on a participant, sometimes when it's a little bit north of that. But we'll find someone to take you know, 10, 15 million of the loan if we want to uh, diversify a little bit when people want to deploy capital in a passive way. As you probably know, asset-based lending is a very labor-intensive business. It requires mm-hmm. the whole portfolio management department and collateral management department. So when people are looking for some pretty good yield without having to create that whole entity themselves, and often you know, counter-cyclical to the economy, it's a good 
you know, investment. And sometimes we invest with our competitors and our family office is one of the founders of SIG, Cisco International Group, the world's largest privately owned options trading firm. And we've participated with uh, an arm of SIG on deals before in the past. That remains an option as well as, as others. Right. So can you maybe just detail, like you mentioned the portfolio management piece. I mean, these are, these are large, large deals. How do you keep track of uh, you know, your customers' financial health, shall we say? So we have two teams that really look at it. So our collateral analysts are looking at the borrowing bases that our borrowers submit, where it's kind of like a, an up-to-date tally of all of their financials, as well as their the collateral that we're lending against. So we can see what availability they have to advance. And then our portfolio management team is also looking at the borrowing base, but they're really the base of CBL with the outside world. They have those relationships with our borrowers. They're going out to visit them, see what the operations are like. And then when the inevitable things, the hiccups come in their business, our portfolio managers will try to find a way to work with them and be, you know, we're not the the gotcha group. We're the, you know, you're with us for some flexibility. Let's find a way to work together and, and solve your business problems. Right. So if someone's kind of, you know, inventory gets drawn down a lot more than you expect and suddenly they're below some thresholds, what do you do then? Well, look at the situation, obviously, you know, in detail. And if it's a reasonable situation, we've certainly provided over advances in the past. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're comfortable with the borrower and, and the story, but we don't start with no, we start with how. Right. Okay. So can you give us a sense of the scale you guys are at? I mean, I know you're probably not doing thousands of loans. I imagine annually, but tell us a little bit about where you're at there. We've been pretty close to our projections so far, and we're projecting to hit half a billion by uh, the end of next year. Half a billion total dollars. Is that an outstanding or is that just a... That's committed. Committed. Okay, great. Okay, so then as we wrap, maybe you could take us sort of through your vision here. I mean, for CBL, where are you taking it? Where do you plan to go? Are we continuing to look for the white spaces in the market, looking to see where the holes are that um, others leave behind, where companies can't find access to capital, not because of credit-related reasons, but maybe they're just favored at the time. Looking to find edge, looking to find places where we can go that others can't because of our capital structure, finding a, a creative path forward, looking to disrupt the market in terms of the types of technology we're bringing in, and continuing to go to lend at conferences <laughs> to find other um, providers. And we've, we've had a number of great follow-up meetings from our involvement there that we're incorporating into our process. Most of all, it's the type of people in our culture that will help facilitate that. We have, a, you know, as I mentioned earlier, really entrepreneurial group of people who may have been banging their heads against the wall at more traditional institutions. We have a really flat, non-hierarchical structure and give them the freedom to finally do what they do best and focus on their uh, strengths and everyone's open about their blind spots and we're close and trying to you know continue disrupting the market. Okay. Well, on that note, we'll have to leave it there. Meredith, it was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much. You know, as Meredith said, and what I really appreciate about what they're doing at Context Business Lending is, you know, they're trying to bring a fintech approach to a sector of finance that has really not changed very much in decades, where many areas of finance have been completely disrupted by fintech. 
the middle market lending still has been happening in a way that was you know, fairly much unchanged uh, now for a long time. So bringing fintech is only going to make the process quicker and more efficient for the borrowers. It takes cost out of the system and uh, it's a better user experience, let's face it. And I think as time goes on, these kinds of borrowers are going to expect a similar type of user experience to what you get uh, as a small business or a consumer. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.